0: You are listening to audio from Faith Church. If you are in the Seminole, St. Pete area, we would love for you to join us on a Sunday. To learn more, visit us at faithrs.org. If you have your Bible or your ESV scripture journal containing the gospel of Luke, let's go to Luke chapter 12 together. Luke chapter 12. And if you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you one. There are Bibles on those tables in the back of the room. You can take one now. We're on your way out of worship today. That's our gift to you. We'd love to give you a Bible. Uh, the text... On which today's teaching is based is Luke chapter 12 verses 13 to 34. I want to read verses 13 to 21 to get us started. If you're willing and able, will you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word? All scripture is breathed out by God, so listen carefully to these words. And at the end of the reading, I'll say, this is the Word of the Lord, and I invite you to respond, thanks be to God. Luke 12 verses 13 to 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully... And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Today, as I've already mentioned, is the first Sunday of Lent, The word Lent comes from an old Saxon word meaning length. Lent is the stretch of 40 days, excluding Sundays, that leads up to, culminates in Easter, Resurrection Sunday. So back in December, we celebrated Advent, that season that leads up to, prepares the way for Christmas. Now in February, March, and April, we will observe Lent, the season that prepares the way for Easter. Now, both of these terms, Advent and Lent, these are extra biblical terms, meaning we don't find these words in the Bible. We're not commanded to observe these seasons in the way that we're commanded to practice baptism and communion, for example. And that explains why some churches will observe these seasons and others will not. Lent is a fairly recent innovation for faith church. We've not always observed this season of Lent. It's pretty recent here, though not recent at all when we look at church history. Lent has been observed as a season since at least the 4th century. So it's been around for a long while. In essence, Lent is an opportunity to refocus. To refocus our mind's attention, our heart's affection upon the Lord, to reorient our lives. Now, this Lenten season, rather than introducing a new series, we're going to continue this series called The Once and Future King, which is a study of Luke's gospel, a series that we introduced back in Advent. Because Luke's gospel takes us from Jesus' birth, Advent, to Jesus' death and resurrection, Easter. So this is a perfect time to be looking at this study. Now here lately we have been looking at the teaching ministry of Jesus. And in particular, his parables. Stories with intent. About 50% of Luke's gospel is parables. More than any other gospel. Three of those parables deal with money. In fact, interestingly, almost every chapter of Luke's gospel contains some reference to money or material possessions. You see, for Luke and for Jesus, possessions can be one of the chief obstacles to salvation. Possessions can be one of the chief obstacles to faithfulness in the kingdom of God. The parables we've looked at in recent weeks sort of pave the way for where we're going today. Think briefly about the two parables we've studied so far. The first was sometimes called the parable of the sower. I prefer to call it the parable of the four soils, not the four spoils. That's a typo. Sorry about that. (laughs) But the four soils. And in the third type of soil, which represents a third way of hearing, a third way of responding to the Word of God. Do you remember what Jesus says in that parable? They are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And then the parable we studied last week, sometimes called the parable of the Good Samaritan, I prefer to call it the parable of the Great Samaritan because ultimately it's pointing us to Jesus who is the Great Samaritan. But the conversation between Jesus and the law you're leading up to that parable, do you remember how it went? The lawyer asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what do you think? How do you read the law? And the lawyer responds, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind. In other words, love the Lord with all your resources and love your neighbor as yourself. See, both of these parables are paving the way for where we're going today. The central, though implicit, question of today's parable is this. Do you worship money? Or do you worship God with your money? Do you worship money? Or do you worship God with your money? Let's find out. Let's find out by listening to the parable and Jesus' teaching that follows it. In Luke 12, Jesus will teach us about the peril of plenty He'll then teach us about the related problem of anxiety. And then finally, he'll give us the solution, generosity. So the peril of plenty, the related problem of anxiety, and the solution of generosity. First, the peril of plenty. Look at the context for this parable. It's a family feud, one that perhaps some of us can relate to. Verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher... Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And then he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So the setting for this parable is a feud, a family argument. Seems like the father has passed away. There are at least two brothers here. The younger brother, presumably, comes to Jesus. And he wants Jesus to help him. You see, he wants to take the family fortune and divide it so that he can have his portion. The older brother, it seems, wants to keep the family fortune undivided, jointly managed. But not the the younger brother. The younger brother comes to Jesus because at this time it was common to go to a rabbi, a religious teacher to get a legal ruling. So he comes to Jesus in essence saying, Jesus, I want my money and I want it now. What can you do to help me? And Jesus refuses to get involved. Jesus is not going to play his game. Instead, he says to the younger brother, take care. Be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in, that is, one's life is not defined by the abundance of his possessions. And then Jesus tells a short, sharp story to make his point come to life. Scene one of the story we meet a prosperous man with a very happy problem. Verse 16, and Jesus told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. So we have here at the beginning a farmer. Now Jesus chooses a farmer because he's speaking at the time to a largely agrarian society. If he were speaking today, he probably would have used a different example a construction project manager, a computer programmer. The farmer, the rich person in this parable, represents any successful man or woman. Anyone who's had a good season, a good year at work. Anyone. And notice how Jesus refers to the success. It's subtle, but it's important. Jesus says it was the land of the rich man that produced plentifully. The land, not the rich man. It's not the rich man who is producing this abundance. It's the land and ultimately the God of the land. Jesus is very clear in this parable that it's God who is ultimately responsible for the good season, the good year that this rich man has had. In this case, this rich farmer has so great a harvest, so many crops, that he doesn't have... Ample storage facilities. So he's faced with a a happy problem and a dilemma. What shall I do with this harvest, this abundance that I have? Scene two. In scene two, he devises a solution, albeit a selfish one. Verse 18, and he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. The farmer has a plan. I'll tear down my existing barns. And when you think about it, this actually makes good business sense, doesn't it? Rather than building additional barns that would have eaten up the land that could have been used for further farming, he decides to tear down his existing barns and build newer ones, bigger ones, better technology. Newer and bigger is always better, right? So he thinks. So he thinks. And he thinks that this will lead to a life of luxury, security, But he's mistaken. Everything about this parable is designed to show us that this man does not have the control over his life that he thinks he does. Even that which is so intimately his, he thinks, his own soul, is on loan and can be demanded at any time. So the parable continues. Scene 3, verse 20. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Whose will they be now? And then Jesus turns and he looks to that younger brother. Remember the context. Jesus turns and he looks to us. And he says, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself. And is not rich toward God. Of all the parables in the New Testament, and there are many, of all the parables in the New Testament, this is the only one that has God, God Himself, as one of the actors in the story. In this story, God comes to the farm. He looks the farmer in the eye, He calls him a fool. He demands his soul, his life. And then, the farmer disappears. He's gone. Now, the word fool is telling here. In the Bible, the fool is the person who ignores God. Who ignores God's instruction. You see, in this case, the rich... Fool, really the poor fool, because there's a greater wealth that he knows nothing about. The poor fool ignores God's instruction regarding money and material possessions. This man's problem was not his money. His problem was the way he viewed his money. His love for his money. His love for his possessions. Not once in the story... Not once in the parable does this farmer think about using his surplus to help anyone else. He only thinks about himself. He never thinks about his neighbors. He never sees that God is the one who made his land produce so plentifully. He never sees that as an opportunity to show the world the love of God. He only thinks, I need bigger barns. I need more storage, I need a long, happy life, and this is what will provide it for me. God comes to the farm, calls him a fool, and then the rich man disappears from view. Now Jesus goes on to teach us, all of his followers, a little more about this subject. Why is it that you and I sometimes act like the farmer? Why is it that you and I sometimes have this covetousness in our own hearts, this greed in our own hearts? Jesus' answer is anxiety. At the root, at the core of our greed is anxiety. That's the point he makes next. Look at what he says in the very next paragraph. I want to read the whole paragraph and then I'll just make a few comments about it. We'll be brief here, but listen carefully. For all the nations of the world seek after these things. And your father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. So here's what Jesus is teaching us. If you have greed in your heart, it's ultimately because you have anxiety in your heart. That's a layer deeper. You're anxious about life. Like the farmer. You're thinking. I need more money coming in. I need more money in the bank. I need more money in my retirement account. What if my hours get cut? What if someone gets sick? How am I going to take care of everyone? How am I? How am I? How am I? Jesus wants us to see. The anxiety in our own hearts. And to replace that. With trust in God. Anxiety, worry, is at odds with good theology. It's at odds with trusting in the God who never runs out of resources. Jesus is saying, look at the birds. Every time you see a bird fly overhead. Look at the flowers. Every time you see a flower flourishing. That is evidence of God's provision. God created the birds. He loves the birds. How much more does He love you? Oh, you of little faith. How much more does He love you? He will provide everything that you need. Trust Him. Trust Him. And when you do, that's how you will be set free from the clutches of greed. You will be set free From the clutches of greed, and you will be set free for generosity, which is where Jesus takes us in the end. The solution to all this is generosity. Look at the end of the passage. Here's the command that comes to us now Go and do this, Jesus says. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In closing here, Jesus teaches us that there's a different type of wealth, a different type of treasure, a heavenly one that has eternal value, eternal significance. And that's the type of treasure that we should be most concerned with. And according to Jesus, the way to get that heavenly treasure is to give away our earthly treasures. To give away our possessions. To give generously earlier at the end of the parable... He said, you can either lay up treasure for yourself here and now, or you can be rich toward God. What does that mean? Rich toward God? To be rich toward God is to apply our wealth toward God's work. That's what it means to be rich toward God. To apply our wealth toward God's work. To invest in spiritual things that have eternal significance. Now, notice here that Jesus, though he certainly calls us to be generous, he does not give us an exact amount nor a percentage, does he? He doesn't give us an amount or a percentage. How much does Jesus want us to give? There are some churches that teach that every Christian is obligated, required to give 10% of his or her annual income to the church every year. Tithing, this is sometimes called. I see two problems with this insistence. The first is that tithing is an Old Testament concept. And if we study the Old Testament carefully, we discover that no Israelite, no Israelite was giving a mere 10%. There were multiple tithes. And if we add them all together, God's people in the Old Testament were giving roughly 30 to 40% of their annual income to God's work. And that was compulsory, required giving. So that's the first problem. No Israelite was giving merely 10%. But the second problem is this. Tithing does not apply to Christians today in the same way that it applied to to the Israelites in the same way that it applied to people in the Old Testament because the church is not the nation of Israel. We are not a theocracy. So we do not have a system of compulsory or required giving. Though Jesus again and again and again calls us to be generous. This is why I think Jesus never gives us an exact amount or percentage but again and again he calls us to be generous. And he does say something here in verse 33 that gives us a way of measuring our giving to determine if it's generous enough. Look at what he says. See it for yourself. Sell your possessions and then give to the needy. So in other words, you must be willing to go without certain things. You must be willing to make sacrifices. And then you can give generously. C.S. Lewis says it this way in his book, Mere Christianity. If we're giving generously, it means this. That there are things that we want to do. Things that we would love to do and we can't do. Because we're so committed to giving unto others. So believer, let me ask you. Can you say things like, I wish I had a bigger house. I wish I had another car or a newer car. I wish I had that expensive toy. But I don't because I'm committed to giving generously to the work of gospel ministry here at Faith Church and throughout the world. Let me make it even more personal for just a second. Gospel partners of Faith Church. You've no doubt noticed that here lately, we've had a lot of new people come and join us. Our Sunday morning participation has grown by over 25% in just the last few months. Praise God, right? But here's something that's going to happen. The more and more people that the Lord brings to us, the more and more deeply involved in our community we get, the more and more ministry there is to be done. And one of the things that will happen is the devil will whisper in our ears... Look at all those people. Look at all those new people. Surely Faith Church doesn't need my contribution anymore. Surely, with all of these people, Faith Church doesn't need my contribution. We do. We do. We're in this together. We read those words of the Great Commission every week. Together. We're in this mission together. We do need you. The poor fool, his problem was not his money. It was not his problem. His problem was his love of money. He served money. He worshipped money. He lived for it. His possessions had possessed him. Do your possessions possess you? One story for you and then we're done. Leo Tolstoy was a late 19th century Russian writer. Well known for his novels War and Peace and Anna Karenina. And a number of short stories. Probably his most famous short story is called How Much Land Does a Man Need? Some of you will know the story. It's a haunting tale. I'll summarize it for us, and then we'll be done. The main character of the story is a man named Packholm, who believes that the secret to the good life is more land. My only problem in life, Packholm says, is that I don't have enough land. Give me enough of that, and I'd fear no one, not even the devil himself. But the devil was listening in. Hmm. Good, the devil thought. I'll have a little game with you, Packham. I'll see to it that you have plenty of land. And that way, I'll have you in my clutches. As the story unfolds, Packham encounters opportunity after opportunity to purchase land. And each time, his purchase brings him great joy. At first... But the joy of the good life soon gives way to thoughts of the better life that could be realized if only he had more land. Well, one day, Patcom encounters a merchant who tells him of the far-off land of the Bashkirs, where he can purchase thousands and thousands of acres for the tiniest sum. So without delay, Patcom says goodbye to his wife. He grabs his workmen and he heads straight to the land of the Bashkirs. And there he meets the town elder who tells him that the price of land is a thousand rubles a day. Now, Pacom is confused by this. What does that mean? So the elder explains, However much land you can walk around in one day will be yours. And the price is the same, a thousand rubles. But there's one condition. You must return to your starting point by sunset. You know, Packham can't believe this. What an incredible opportunity. A man can walk around a lot of land in a day. The next day Packham starts walking. He marks all the land he can. And the further he travels, the better the land gets. When his body begins to feel tired, he keeps walking, coaching himself. A moment's pain can be a lifetime's gain. Finally, he decides that he's journeyed far enough. So he turns around and he heads back for the starting point. But on the way back, on the way back, Pacom finds the going tough. The heat of the day has exhausted him. His legs are giving out. He's so thirsty. He's so tired. But he can't allow himself to rest. Onward he runs. His fear makes him only more breathless. In the distance, he sees the starting point. So he takes a deep breath and he runs with all the energy he has left, diving and arriving at the starting point just before the sun goes down. The Bashkirs are all there to cheer for him. Well done, well done, the elder says. That's a lot of land you've earned yourself. Packham's workman runs to his master's side to help him stand to his feet, to join the celebration, to enjoy the land he's earned. But Packham is dead. The venture claimed his life. And his workman buries him in the land that was the product of his greed. How much land does a man need? Tolstoy asks. And the haunting answer with which he leaves us? About six feet. (laughs) From head to heel. Brothers and sisters, heed the words of Jesus. Fool, this night... Your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask for your help. So very mindful of the dangers associated with possessions. Again and again you teach us in your word. That our possessions are one of the chief obstacles to salvation. One of the chief obstacles to faithful service in your kingdom. Jesus we do not want to love money. We want to love you with our money. So, where there is conviction needed this morning, I ask you to convict. Where we need to be challenged, I ask you to challenge. And as always, comfort our hearts with the gospel. It is the generosity of God. The generosity in the gospel that compels us to be generous. God, everything is yours. We are simply stewards. So as we move into a time of communion, of celebrating the generosity of you, God, I pray that you would work in our hearts. Show us how we can love you with all of our resources. Love our neighbors the way you have called us to. In Jesus' name we pray.